In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who is God? Wow, you ask an interesting question. And an important one, too. In fact, it's probably the most important question one can ever ask because how we answer that question finally determines where we will spend our eternity. Who is God? The, the answer is both deeply profound and deceptively simple all at the same time. Where to begin? If I remember correctly, you said that you really don't have any church background at all. That's okay. In fact, maybe that's for the best because we can kind of start with a little bit of a clean slate. And I guess I should say right from the outset that the answer I'm going to give you to your question is going to come from the Bible. I'm a Christian. I believe that the Bible is God's word of truth, that it's pure and clean and perfect in every part, that there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, and so I'm going to seek to give you a biblical answer to your question uh, rather than giving you my own opinion. Who is God? I think the best way to begin answering that question is by talking about who God is not. You know, there are a lot of people in the world who believe that all religious people in the world really worship the same God. They just call him by all kinds of different names, and that's simply not true. For example, uh, Jews and Muslims and Christians all worship a different God. Those who follow Judaism claim to worship the God of the Bible, but they reject Jesus Christ as true God and Savior, and we'll talk more about him in just a minute. Muslims worship a God that they name Allah, and Allah is very, very different from the God of the Bible. Finally, only Christians worship the one true God because they worship the God of the Bible. I want you to think of it this way. Maybe this will help. Imagine that God on the pages of the Bible stated that he is the God who loves chocolate ice cream. And I realize this is kind of ridiculous, but follow along. He's the God who loves chocolate ice cream. And then somebody comes along and says, you know, I don't really want to worship the God who loves chocolate ice cream. I want to worship the God who loves vanilla ice cream because I don't like chocolate and vanilla is my favorite flavor. That person has, at that moment, created a false god in his own head. And he no longer worships the one true God of the Bible. We Christians worship that one true God of the Bible. We worship the God who has revealed himself as three persons, but he's only one God, one in his essence. We call this concept the Trinity. Trinity means three in one. There's only one God, but he reveals himself in three separate and distinct persons, and you've probably heard of them before, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, as I said, one God, but three separate and distinct persons. And by the way, the, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit. Three separate and distinct persons, and yet only one God. We try to figure this out in our heads, and it just doesn't work. You can't take God and, and divide him up like a pie into three separate pieces. Nor can we think of God like the three states of matter. Uh, and sometimes he's liquid, sometimes he's solid, sometimes he's gas, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or like God is an actor and sometimes he plays the part of the Father, sometimes the Son, sometimes the Holy Spirit. Boy, how do I explain this to you? Well, um, think of a three-leaf clover. Nope, that doesn't work. Okay, think of a candle that's been lit, and it's got the flame, it's got light, it's got heat. No, that doesn't work either. 
To be honest, there's nothing in nature to which we can compare the one true God and understand him. He's bigger and grander than us. God does not fit neatly inside here. And you know what? He's beyond our understanding, but I take a great deal of comfort from that fact. Because I don't know about you, but I need a God who is much bigger and grander and wiser and smarter than me. All right, I don't want to confuse you by trying to uh, explain to you the intricacies of the Trinity. I want to talk to you more specifically about what this true God is like. Jesus Christ told his disciples to go out and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Just who are those three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Each one is equally God. But each one is separate and distinct. Let's talk about the Father first. You owe your existence to your earthly parents. They're the ones who brought you into this world. But the entire universe owes its existence to God the Father. The Bible identifies him as the creator. This is what God's word says. In six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. That's right. It didn't take millions and billions of years, as many like to say. God created the entire universe in six normal 24-hour days, the kind of days like we're used to. And by the way, uh, he didn't create like the potter who takes some clay and fashions it into something. He even created the clay. He created the raw material from which the world is built. He called it all into existence out of nothing, everything, rocks and trees and plants and animals and planets and even people. And when God finished all of his creating activity, he looked at what he had made and he called it very good. There was nothing wrong, nothing at all wrong with the world that our God had made. It was paradise. It was perfect. But maybe you know the story. It didn't last for long in perfection. The first two people that God created were Adam and Eve. And God blessed them with just tremendous blessings. They had a perfect relationship with each other. Can you imagine a perfect marriage? They had perfect friendship with God. But then the devil entered the scene. And there are going to be a lot of people who will tell you that the devil doesn't really exist. He's just something the church made up. But that's not true. The devil is real. We find him clearly on the pages of God's Word in the Bible. I'm not going to try to explain to you today who the devil is. Let's suffice it to say that he's an evil spirit uh, who is not out for our good. In fact, he wants to destroy us. Well, the devil came on the scene in the form of a serpent, and he convinced Adam and Eve that God was holding out on them, that he was withholding some of his blessings. And he got them to do something amazing. He got them to break the one command that God gave them, a tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. They ate of that forbidden fruit. They rebelled against God. And when they did that, they brought sin and suffering and pain and death into God's perfect world, the things that we're still dealing with today. There's one more thing I want to tell you about God the Father. Not only did he create the world, not only does he care for the world that he created, but the Father promised to save it. Soon after Adam and Eve fell into that first sin, God gave a promise to send a Savior who would clean up the mess that they had made. 
That Savior has a name, and I'm sure you've heard it before. The name is Jesus Christ. He is God's one and only Son. He is also the second person of the Trinity, and I want to tell you more about him. Remember when I said that Adam and Eve ruined God's perfect creation? Well, they ruined it for everybody, not just for themselves. Once they became sinners, well, they produced more sinners. Their children were born sinners, and their children's children were born sinners, on and on and on, so that all of their descendants are sinners, including you and me. It's genetics, really. And we didn't just inherit from them blue eyes and blonde hair or something like that. We inherited something terrible. We inherited their sin, their rebellion, and everything that comes with it, pain and suffering and death. By the way, when I mention death, I'm not just talking about the kind of death uh, that puts you in a plot under the ground. I'm talking about a place much, much deeper. I'm talking about the eternal death and suffering of hell. And that's one more thing that others are going to tell you does not really exist. There's no such thing as hell, they'll say. But again, God's word is clear. Hell exists, and it's what you and me, every sinner, it's what we all deserve. The Bible is so clear. It says the wages of sin is death. But my friend, I'm so happy to tell you that that passage doesn't end there. It has a second part. The wages of sin is death. But listen to this. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins. He came to save us from that hell that we deserve. He came to give us the blessings of forgiveness of sins and life eternal. We call the Father, who we just talked about, the Creator. We call God the Son, Jesus, by another name. We call him the Redeemer. The Bible tells us that in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Maybe you've seen one of those movies on TV about kidnappers where they grab somebody, usually somebody from a rich family, and they demand a million dollar ransom, and, and once that ransom has been paid, then they return the person. Well, our God is no kidnapper, but he did demand a ransom. He demand that sin be paid for. And Jesus came to pay that ransom. In fact, Jesus is himself the ransom. The ransom price that God demanded was a lot more than just a million dollars. It was the holy, precious, priceless blood of God's one and only Son. Here's how it happened. Jesus Christ is God. Remember the second person of the Trinity? But he became man. He took on our flesh. He was born humbly of the Virgin Mary. He did that so that he could live under God's law in our place. And as our substitute, he obeyed that law perfectly. You see, that's what God demands of us. He wants perfect obedience to his commands, and we can't give it to him. So Jesus came and did it for us in our place. But our God demands something else. He demands that every single sin be paid for. Again, that's a payment that we simply could not make. And so Jesus Christ came into our world and made it for us. You see, Jesus is truly God, and he became man, but he never stopped being God. And that means that his life has infinite value. 
2,000 years ago on a Roman cross just outside the city of Jerusalem, Jesus Christ gave up that precious, priceless life into death. He was crucified. He shed his perfect blood in payment for the world's sin. All of it. That includes your sin and my sin. And he made it clear that the payment counted, that it worked, when he said from that cross, it is finished. Every last sin has been paid for in full. And with the payment made, Jesus died. Maybe you know something about this too, my friend. He didn't stay that way for very long. Three days later, in fact, a little less than three days later, he rose. He came back to life. Why? Well, because he had defeated the cause of death. He defeated sin and Satan, and so death could not possibly hold him. Our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, has freed us from all of those enemies, sin and death and Satan. His resurrection from the dead proves it. And this living Savior gives you and me a promise. He says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. So what does that mean, to believe in Jesus? Well, that's where the work of God, the Holy Spirit, comes in. Let's talk about him. A lot of people don't think of the Holy Spirit as a person. They think of him more as kind of this, this nameless, faceless force or power that kind of just emanates from it, comes out from God. But that also is not true. Scripture makes clear that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is true God, equal to the Father, equal to the Son. But maybe this is where the confusion comes from. The Holy Spirit likes to do his work in the background. He likes to put the spotlight instead on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, you see, his entire job is to connect us to our Savior Jesus Christ, to work in us faith in him. Now, to have faith in Jesus means to rely on him, to trust in him. And, you know, that's something that we cannot do on our own. We cannot manufacture that kind of trust inside of us. The Bible says that all people are born into the world dead in sin and blind to God. And just think about what a dead person can do. Absolutely nothing. We can't make ourselves believe in Jesus as our Savior. But the Holy Spirit can, and the Holy Spirit does. And that's why his work is so important. He calls us to faith in Jesus. How does he do that? Listen to what God's Word says. God chose you to be saved through the work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Notice, first of all, we didn't choose God. God is the one who chose us. He chose us to be saved through the Spirit's work. And how does the Spirit work? He works through the truth. He calls people to faith through the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't just zap people from above with a lightning bolt or something. No, faith comes from hearing the message. Remember what I just told you about Jesus? I told you he's your Savior. I told you he lived and died and rose again for you to give you forgiveness and eternal life. This is good news. It's wonderful news. This is the news that the Spirit uses to call you and me to faith in Jesus Christ. And all I can say to you, my dear friend, is pay attention to that news, listen to that good news, and believe it, because it's for you. Jesus Christ is your Savior. 
There's so much more that I want to tell you about the one true God, but I can see you're, you're getting tired. Uh, allow me then to summarize just briefly. Who is God? Well, he's the triune God of the Bible. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's three persons, but only one God. He's a God that goes beyond our understanding. And yet, my friends, this is abundantly clear. He is the God of mercy and compassion. He is the God of love and forgiveness. He's the God who created you and promised to save you. He's the God who came himself to this world and lived and died and rose again for you. He's the God who wants you to know and to believe all of his promises. He is the God who desires to spend all of eternity with you in perfect peace. This is the only true God. And my friends, just think, this mysterious, mighty, and majestic God loves little old you. He even loves me. Isn't that something? Let's talk about him again real soon. Amen.